0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson, bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis.
1: Has religion caved into the cultural revolution? Religion and culture are undeniably linked. However, some say that religion is part of culture, and others say that culture grows out of religion. Too many people see the difference between those two positions as irrelevant. In reality, the difference is crucial. Those who argue that religion is merely part of the culture are really saying that there is no true religion at all. Religion, they assert, is dynamic and must change when the cultural climate changes. At TFP and Return to Order, we take the opposite position. Insofar as the Catholic religion defines the relationship that connects us to our Creator, it comes before all other connections. Therefore, when Catholicism and culture clash, Holy Mother Church must prevail. An excellent example of a scholar who reverses this order is Dr. Anthony Arnett, author of Cathonomics, How Catholic Tradition Can Create a More Just Economy. Mr. John Horvat reviews this popular but very mistaken work in his essay, Why Cathonomics is Neither Catholic Nor Economic.
0: The title of the book, Cathonomics, How Catholic Tradition Can Create a More Just Economy, is intriguing since it highlights the idea that the Church has much to offer in the line of economics. The author tries to merge two fields that generally do not mix, although they should. However, it is one thing to mix the two subjects, another to fuse clashing perspectives. Thus the book reads like its dramatic title. It is a forced merging of old and new, religious and ecological, St. Thomas Aquinas, and Pope Francis. In the name of tradition, a cathenomic hybrid emerges that is a spectacular clash of contraries, which ends up being neither one element nor the other. The author, Dr. Anthony Arnett, seems to revel in paradoxes that shock traditional sensibilities. Reading his work sets off red and eco-green flags everywhere. The Irish-born economist boasts of working for 20 years at the International Monetary Fund. Liberal economist Jeffrey Sachs, known for his pro-abortion and population control advocacy, wrote the foreword a sympathetic Georgetown University press published the 2022 book with glowing promotional blurbs from liberal notables. The impossible goal of the book is to put together what might be called a hermeneutic of economic continuity, where there is no continuity. The author, for example, reasonably expounds on traditional Catholic teaching, which he calls the old stuff. He criticizes, even brilliantly, the sorry economic theories of the Enlightenment and liberalism that destroyed Christendom. However, things get messy when he tries to integrate social justice proposals, Green New Deal goals, and Keynesian economic theory into traditional Catholic models. The author argues for one side and then the other, all the while insisting the ripped fabric of these views forms one seamless garment. There are three major errors in the presentation of cathonomics that prevent the paradoxical proposal from providing solutions. The first error is that it's not Catholic. Dr. Arnett cites Catholic authors, popes, and documents. He uses some Catholic concepts, especially subsidiarity and solidarity. However, he builds something that is not specifically Catholic. However, one need not be Catholic, practice Catholic virtues, or even believe in God to be part of Cathonomics. His proposal targets the quote-unquote human person and is thus meant to apply to everyone indiscriminately. The field might be better expressed as personomics, humanonomics, or even human persononomics. Thus, the new science is extremely limited since it must express itself in secular and naturalistic terms addressing, quote, the fullest development of the whole person and all peoples, unquote. The author seems to think that appealing to, quote, a common good with a common destiny which entails protection of our common home, unquote, is enough to motivate people to sacrifice for others. He even adds an ecological solidarity that extends beyond species, bound by the, quote, notion that all creatures have value and worth in their own right, unquote. The book, which begins with sublime theological expressions from the old stuff, Morphs into modern economic, sociological, and ecological good jargon. Without a supernatural and transcendental end, the call to solidarity is far from compelling. Thus, the book has all the appeal of the naturalistic rhetoric found in United Nations documents or the Democratic Party platform. Indeed, the author presents the 17 liberal aims of the U.N. Sustainable Development Goals almost as a new set of commandments, introducing a new economic paradigm, quote, with social inclusion and protection of nature, unquote. He suggests a world authority to implement decisions that would require, quote, a reform of the United Nations oriented toward justice and universal fraternity instead of being co-opted by the powerful, This broad platform leads to Cathenomics' second error. There is really nothing new in his program, despite its fancy name. One finds a wide selection of bad economic considerations packaged anew. The enemy is neoliberalism, which he criticizes with a similar lack of originality. The author describes all the effects of an imbalanced economy, but not the cause. Like the Marxist analysis that informs most liberal economics, everything in the structures that force people to live in misery and nothing about the misery of fallen human nature that builds those sinful structures. Thus, There is no call to personal conversion in the traditional sense. Dr. Arnett's invitation is for all nations to become Scandinavian, with high taxes and broad social welfare programs stuffed full of solidarity and subsidiarity. The program reflects much more of modern French economist Thomas Piketty than St. Thomas Aquinas there is an obsessive condemnation of all inequality, even when it is proportional. Thus, an explicit proposal of cathenomics is high and progressive taxes as a means that, quote, might inculcate value given the evidence of less solidarity, generosity, and empathy among the rich in more unequal societies, unquote. He also calls for punitive and confiscatory tax rates, especially on billionaires. Finally, significant inheritance taxes will be needed to support the common good and integral human development. The state plays a major role in these proposals, including as employer of last resort and supplier of supplemental income. Throwing other people's money at problems seems to be the preferred way to resolve things. Dr. Arnett casually throws around presumably insignificant figures that would solve problems. All can be remedied by advocating $100 billion a year for one program, a trillion dollars for another, and $50 billion for yet another. Quote, The bottom line is that In the context of a $128 trillion world economy, these amounts are small, sometimes even minuscule. A strong ecological component of Cathonomics is especially notable. He has a special animus toward the oil and gas sector, which, he argues, must be destroyed at all costs. While the author admits that it is hard to quantify the number of deaths due to climate change, he goes to great lengths to paint the worst possible picture based on models and estimates. Thus, the reader is told that mental issues caused by climate change are responsible for an estimated 59,000 suicides in India, many of them poor farmers. Premature deaths from pollution are estimated at 5 million people a year. Experts predict, quote, a staggering 200 million climate refugees by 2050 alone with a high estimate of a billion, unquote. Such Greta Thunberg-like presentations are at best debatable, but hardly dogmatic. In addition, there is nothing new about the Green New Deal solutions Cathenomics proposes. Finally, The most painful error is the absence of God in caffinomics. There is no appeal to the love of God as a means to obtain human flourishing. God need not get involved in the development of His creatures. In a book about Catholic economy, there should be something about divine providence that highlights God's loving care over humanity, even in the face of an eco-disaster. However, There is nothing to suggest God's interest in humanity, or even vice versa. So much talk in the book is about solidarity that should unite everyone, but nothing about what must lie in the center. Solidarity becomes impossible without the love of God. All are called to love their neighbors as themselves out of the love of God, the highest motivation. Thus, the UN Sustainable Development Goals slash Commandments, for example, become empty philanthropic calls for ending poverty, hunger, and other needs, since they have nothing transcendental to sustain them. Self-interest and fallen nature, also not mentioned, will always win when God is not in the center of things. Likewise, Cathonomics has no room for grace, which enlightens the intellect and strengthens the will so that people become capable of doing things, which includes economic acts and charitable works that go beyond human nature. The author's narrow vision is a cold mechanical program that locks out the supernatural and locks in the state. In the world of cathonomics, personal sin has no consequences. Hence, there is an ominous silence about abortion or other sins that drag society and economy down and diminish the love of God that must sustain everything. The role of prayer and living a virtuous life, free of sin, also cannot be underestimated as powerful forces in securing human flourishing however all these things essential to a catholic economy are absent in cathonomics indicative of the author's perspective is his ending quote taken from pope francis's 2015 address at the world meeting of popular movements quote the future of humanity does not lie solely in the hands of great leaders, the great powers, and the elites. It is fundamentally in the hands of peoples and in their ability to organize. Unquote. This naturalistic approach is the problem with cathonomics. Any future of humanity and economy must lie in the hands of God, not humanity. When humanity puts itself in the center, it is a quick recipe for disaster. The author forgot yet one more important element. Alas, how can anything be called Catholic without mentioning Our Lady? The Blessed Mother has everyone's maternal well-being in mind. Our Lady at Fatima said it best. Humanity must not offend God any more. Only then will the world find peace and prosperity.
1: One wealthy nation that is rapidly descending because it excludes God from its modern culture is Germany. In many respects, Germany sees itself as a leader among European nations. Yet Germany has allowed its Green Party to hijack its economy and that of the rest of Europe. Mr. Edwin Benson discussed the way in which this unforced error took place in his essay, History Repeats Itself with the German Green Economy. A quick note this article was first published on April 8, 2022. It describes a situation that is changing rapidly. Therefore, some details described here may have changed since publication, even though the most important information remains accurate. We beg the listeners' indulgence.
0: In the summer of 1948, Joseph Stalin decided to suffocate West Berlin by cutting off the rails and roads that carried food and fuel to the isolated city in the middle of East Germany. In response, the U.S. Air Force supplied the besieged city by air. This arduous task required that an airplane land at Tempelhof Airport every 45 seconds. After 11 months, Stalin accepted defeat for one of the few times in his bloody career. Incredibly, Germany seems to have forgotten the lessons that Stalin taught it. Germany is Europe's powerhouse, but it depends on Vladimir Putin for electricity and heat, the same fuel the Russians tried to take away almost 75 years ago. This dependency is self-inflicted. Since the turn of the millennium, Germany adopted a new variety of socialism that cuts off its energy. In this version, green replaced red as the color of choice. The Germans call it Energiewende, which means energy turn. A more figurative rendering might be Germany's Green New Deal. The country has spent the last two decades deliberately shutting down its ability to produce energy. Under the spell cast by its Green Party, Germany gambled its future on so-called renewable energy, primarily solar panels and windmills. The international green movement often promotes the idea that wind and solar can provide all the energy that the planet needs. However, the people on the planet are considerably more demanding. Wind and solar are inherently undependable. Some days are not sunny. The wind does not always blow. Another green article of faith is the idea that the renewable breakthroughs are kept off the market by energy companies. They paint a picture of the proverbial fat cat Texas oilman in a black suit and string tie, gorging on dollars as the world grows increasingly polluted. According to this narrative, these characters know how to make wind and solar work, but hide that energy to ensure their profit margins. The Green's White Knight is the government. Only a massive transfusion of government power can simultaneously subsidize and mandate renewables while taxing the energy companies into oblivion. Germany was supposed to prove that a modern, industrialized economy could function on green energy. The result has been an epic failure. According to energy analyst Michael Schellenberger, the German government has spent $36 billion a year since 2000 on solar and wind power. At the same time, they have shuttered almost all of their electric generating plants, a process projected to continue through 2022. Yet the average German home pays 150% of what a French family pays for electricity. Over a third of that energy comes from Russia. The German foreign minister, Annalena Baerbach, admits that Germany gets half its coal from Russia and coal use climbed 18% during 2021 alone. Until the recent Russian invasion of Ukraine, non-German interest in these facts was largely academic. Now, everyone is concerned. Few foreign policy analysts believe that Putin's ambitions end with absorbing Ukraine. Poland, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, NATO members all, share borders with Russia. They were once parts of the Soviet Empire. Are they also on Putin's wish list? Would Germany honor its NATO commitments and defend its allies against the country that provides their electricity and oil? One other international energy conundrum complicates this already dire picture. According to a study by Sheffield Hallam University in the United Kingdom, solar panel production relies on solar-grade polysilicon. Nearly three-quarters of the world's supply of that element comes from China, Russia's ally. Many Americans share Germany's green passion. On February 7, 2019, 68 U.S. House of Representatives members submitted a resolution containing a Green New Deal. Among the proposals was, quote, meeting 100% of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources, unquote. 100% means that every electric power plant using coal, Oil, natural gas, or nuclear power would be deactivated. Every oil refinery, coal mine, and gas well would close permanently. Every kilowatt or BTU used by a business, home, or vehicle would be generated by windmills, solar panels, or some other as yet unknown and unproven technology. Such a plan might be a dream come true for the Green Movement, Russia, and China, but it is a nightmare for everyone else.
1: The issues that the first two articles discussed have long-term implications, even eternal implications, although both essays focused on current conditions. Therefore, we end this episode of the Return to Order Moment with an essay that discusses these eternal implications more directly. In May 2016, Mr. John Horvat wrote an essay entitled, Has Religion Caved into the Cultural Revolution? We borrowed that title for this episode of the podcast, and now we bring you the essay that inspired it.
0: Among the writing of Church Fathers, St. Augustine writes with great eloquence of the benefits the Church bestows upon society. Contrary to those in our days who see Christians as threats and intruders in the public square, St. Augustine claims that those who live up to the standards of Christ's teachings are society's greatest benefactors and defenders. He asks us to imagine, quote, Governors, husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants, kings, judges, taxpayers and tax collectors, unquote, who take Christian teachings to heart and live by the Ten Commandments. An institution that encourages its members to behave in such a manner performs a great service to society. And it only makes sense. A church that compels everyone from government to the lowest member of society not to lie, steal, or kill greatly fosters the common good. A teaching that encourages people to control those disordered passions that consume and ruin lives will necessarily be a guardian of order, well-being, and true freedom. Such an observation might be applied in reverse today. Such is the cultural pressure to cave into the passions of the day that people are encouraged to act contrary to church teachings. Key sectors of the church have jumped on the bandwagon of a cultural revolution where everything goes. They have renounced any moral order to avoid being unpopular and thus abandoned their high mission of guardian and defender. They have become agents of disorder. One cannot help but think about this great surrender when observing the present state of the church in our days. Problems in the church are nothing new, for there have always been those in the church in America with radical liberal views who have maintained a loud presence on the fringe. But what we are now seeing in the present cultural climate is a surrender of much greater proportions. Many church institutions and members no longer seem to care about what people think or do. They seem to go out of their way to aggressively assault church teachings. There is not even an attempt to hide or explain the discord. We see this exemplified in situations like, first, the selection of pro-abortion Vice President Joe Biden for the University of Notre Dame's prestigious Letare Medal. Second, The Jesuit Georgetown universities extending a speaking invitation to Cecile Richards of scandal-ridden Planned Parenthood, who received a standing ovation at the talk. Or third, major Catholic universities, key figures and publications openly embracing the full agenda of the present sexual revolution, including abortion, without fear of reprisal. Such egregious acts have not elicited proportional reaction from church authority. The temptation to go with the times always fails to gain the acceptance of the world and only leads down the slope of further concessions. Far from protecting the faithful from the rage of those who oppose a moral law, such a policy only fuels intolerant cries for yet more surrender. No one not even the Little Sisters of the Poor can escape from those who feel threatened by any manifestation of fidelity to the natural moral law. What those who cave in to the Cultural Revolution fail to grasp is what St. Augustine realized in the twilight of the decadent Roman Empire. The teachings of the Church are the greatest safeguard of society when faithfully observed. The Church has an ordering and hallowing influence upon everyone and everything, including the economy. She protects the weak and prevents the state from abusing its authority. That is why the future belongs to those who remain faithful to a higher moral law. Those who pander to the fickle trends of the times are always swept away in history. When key elements inside religion cave into the cultural revolution, the only response is a renewed fidelity and resolve by those who trust in God and His everlasting promise that the church will prevail.
1: This concludes Has Religion Caved Into the Cultural Revolution? Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will be directed to the Return to Order moment when searching for new podcasts. So, by rating us, you can help Return to Order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all the previous episodes of the Return to Order moment. We would also like to recommend the book, which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvath's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2022, by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.